This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Uh, hello and welcome to another episode of Poetry in Motion with me, Neil Fitz, talking all things Liverpool Football Club. Uh, once again, uh, really appreciate you listening to this and really appreciate you following all of our podcasts, uh, Ali Rouge, of course, uh, Poetry in Motion and all of the podcasts on the uh, Blood Red umbrella as well. Thank you very, very much. Without you guys, we'd just be talking to ourselves So and girls, of course. Uh, so thank you very much. Um, I am joined by, well, how can I put this? Someone brand new to um, to the Liverpool Echo um, and a uh, young, fresh-faced journalist with all in front of her. Uh, and 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 another one who, who's been with us since the very, very start. One of the... Um, the fantastic three of myself, Neil Jones, and this guy, Joe Rimmer. Uh, and he's still here as well. Not so fresh-faced, maybe, as Hannah. But, you know, he's still there. He hasn't given up totally yet. Um, it's Joe Rimmer and Hannah Pinnock. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Hi, Neil. Seeing Neil Jones from his sins this afternoon, actually. Are you seeing Neil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell him he's yeah, always yeah. welcome on the party. He's a, he's a very, very knowledgeable man, big red as well, and a good yeah. lad as well. Okay, guys, let's talk all things Liverpool Football Club. I mean, the last... The last podcast we did, uh, I always do that kind of uh, preview to the, to the next six games coming up. We are halfway through them. Um, we've already done, obviously, Brentford, Porto and the big clash at Anfield, Man City. If you'd have put your house on any of those um, providing a victory, it certainly um, would have gone down the Brentford role, wouldn't it? Let's be honest with you. Um Great performance against Porto. They seem to just let in goals for fun against us, don't they? Put us in a really strong position, albeit, you know, the Suarez 94th minute penalty was a bit of a pain because it's obviously uh, narrowed the gap a little bit, but we're still where we need to be there. The Man City game was was uh, an uh, extraordinary performance in more ways than one. The game to us, if ever there was one. But let's just start off, uh, Joe, with uh, the Brentford shenanigans because, as I say, let's face it, you would put your house... <clears throat> on a result against Brentford there, wouldn't you? They're, great. They're a great team, obviously. A lot of spirit there. They've gone on to, to beat West Ham since. Uh, but 3-1 up, you've got to put that game to bed, haven't you? And it was a bit of a lacklustre performance, wasn't it, Joe? It was a bit of a almost one-eye-on-the-portal game and it, and it caught us napping a little bit. Yeah, it was a, it was a very untidy performance, wasn't it? I think um, I don't think I, I was massively surprised. And I, and I wasn't... A lot of people afterwards, we were talking about afterwards, and a lot of people were really disappointed. And I wasn't too disappointed because I think... At the stage of the season, you're playing Brentford. It, you know, I think they're sort of tired that you want to play them later in the season, don't you? Right now, they got their tails up. They're back in the Premier League. You know, they're looking forward to those sorts of games, and that was the by far the biggest game they'd played so far. So they were well up for it, and, and you know, desperate to beat Liverpool. Um, and the, you know, it was a good atmosphere. They they played pretty well, Brentford. You can't knock them. Um, they, they never let Liverpool settle. My biggest concern coming out of Brentford is whether they show any other team a bit of a way of playing against Liverpool. The way they 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 put those crosses into the back post, overloaded Trent a bit, and just gave Liverpool a hard time with with sort of those high balls into the box. Um, but the result itself, yeah, it was just on time. It was really frustrating. Three to up, what was it? Five to go, ten to go, and and you just wanted Liverpool to sort of take the sting out of the game and. You know, Klopp made that substitution, didn't he? He brought on Firmino. And um, I know his argument afterwards was, look, we nearly scored two or three times. And, and that's true. You know, Liverpool could have been four to even five, two up by the time Brentford got their third goal. But 
it just felt like one that if Liverpool could have just got their foot on the ball, slowed it down a bit, not allowed Brentford the breaks and the, the throw-ins and the set pieces that they had, they could have seen that out. So it was frustrating. And, and it's more frustrating because then you, you're playing City next and you know you know how difficult City's going to be. So, um, yeah, a bit disappointed um, to draw that one. But, but look, I mean, I think... I think we can look back at it as a decent point. They looked, you know, they went and beat West Ham, didn't they? They look like they're going to be a decent side. And of all the three promoted teams, they could be the team that ends up having a decent season, finishes in the top half and, you know, takes a few scalps along the way. So maybe in retrospect, it'll be a decent point, but just frustrating, untidy and not like Liverpool this season because they've been pretty, pretty good controlling and, you know, haven't given up too many chances this season, but that was a, that was a real poor one. Yeah. And Hannah, I think it was, the frustrating thing for us was that all three of the goals against Brentford were, were, were pretty bad defensive errors, really, where the sloppy kind of, you know, the first one goes straight across the face of the goal and ends up at Fabinho's feet when, you you, you know, you either get rid of it or you, you... But he's allowed to be pegged back, isn't he? The defender's really sharp, comes in behind him and puts it in. And the other two as well, when you've got Van Dijk and Matip and, you know, arguably the, the strongest four at the back, it was frustrating, wasn't it, to see that, uh, as Joe said, they were overloading balls to Trent. He seemed to, he seemed to struggle a little bit with that much attention on him. Um, and uh, and going into the Porto game, and then certainly with one eye on the Man City game, it was a bit of a worrying concern, wasn't it? It was a bit concerning that, that, that they'd been that sloppy. But in, in hindsight, Anna, it possibly was one of them games that, 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 that made them focus made them sort of, made you think as a fan, OK, let's get that out of the way. It wasn't against one of the big teams, no disrespect to Brentford, but it was a sort of, a, it was a, it was sloppy and it was a bit of a mess up, but it was against a team that we can be forgiven to do that against. Whereas we're one of the big four to five, you can't really do that. So going into the Porto game and then the one eye on City, it, 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 in the end, really, I guess it was, um, it was out of those three games, you'd want it to have happened there, wouldn't you? I suppose so. I mean, the, the the warning signs were there with Brentford when they beat Arsenal on the first day of the season. Um, you know, they, they looked strong then and they've carried that on incredibly well and we, we couldn't quite handle them. And I, I understand what you're saying that, you know, you sort of want those mess ups to happen and the way that, that Brentford played against us, they they certainly had the better of us and I think Klopp said it himself, they they knew what Brentford were doing, but they couldn't quite fix it in the game. But I mean, it didn't quite carry on into Porto because obviously it was a fantastic performance, a 5-1 win and, and we're top of the Champions League group. But it, in a way, it sort of then did carry on into Man City and we sort of did have those defensive errors against them, um, particularly in the first half. It, it wasn't particularly great, albeit it wasn't our best back four like it was against Brentford. But if anything, I, I mean, I was quite disappointed with the defensive performance against Brentford because... You sort of, you know, with Massif and Van Dyke, you sort of do feel like they, those sort of sort of days are past us, and that we're a lot stronger defensively. And then that was sort of reminiscent of what it used to be like, and and you sort of don't want to go back there. But yeah, it, 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 I I I was disappointed with the result personally. Um, but I I understand what you're saying that you know when you defend like that against the likes of Man City and Chelsea, they they will punish you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. And also as well, statistically, if you look at it, if we'd have got three points against Brentford, we could have taken a loss against City and still been better off point-wise. But obviously there's more to it than that. And it's about reputation and it's about building confidence. So if we go past the Porto game, because it was a 5-1, 
a drubbing really, wasn't it? Let's face it, 14 goals they've shipped against us in the last couple of matches, against those last few matches. So we sit top of the group, Champions League. There can be no complaints about that. They've performed really, really well. Again, Europe is, is very much something that, that that suits the style of play that Liverpool play, don't, isn't it? And then we bring on, you know, the champions, uh, Man City, a team of, you know, multi, multi gazillions of pounds there on the bench and on the pitch. It's 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 the most expensively assembled team, certainly in the Premiership, outside of Paris Saint-Germain um, in world football. And Joe, when you look at it and when you look at City and the City game itself, first half was atrocious, really, wasn't it? It was it wasn't a Liverpool that anyone recognised. It was a it was a it was a scared, unprepared, confused, rudderless ship, wasn't it? First half. It was it was quite surprising because in the first five to ten minutes, I'd like to say, I think they started pretty well, and Liverpool were on the front foot and and sort of pushing City back, pressing them up high. And it looked like it was going to be one of them performances where you know you right you, you fly out the blocks and and that's when City usually struggle, isn't it? When you when you when you do that to them, especially at Anfield, you don't let them settle. But then Liverpool did exactly what you shouldn't do against City and, and let them settle, let them start to dominate the ball, and you could just feel. Um, as the half wore on, the game was just getting away from Liverpool. You know, as, as it got to about 35 to 40 minutes, I was almost just about, sort of made peace with the goal was coming. I thought City were definitely going to score here. They were, they were well on top. And I think Liverpool did well to get out the half without scoring. But great credit to, to Klopp because the way Liverpool then attacked the second half, it was night and day, wasn't it? And, it, and you know, he doesn't get enough credit, I think, Klopp at times. I, I remember there's a lot of criticism of him of not being able to change games. And obviously, we're well past this, but in the past, it, it felt like Klopp was a motivator and not a tactician. And Pep always gets the credit, doesn't he, for being this, this great tactician. But the way Klopp changed the game, I mean, was, was, was hugely impressive. And then, although City came out with it with a draw, you know, he did a number on Pep because Pep probably would have been thinking at half-time, you know, this is ours to, to win here. And and Liverpool looked the more likely to win it in the second half. Scored two goals at that that chance that I'll never know how Rodri went and stuck his leg out and, and stopped Fabinho from scoring. But I thought as, as bad as they were in the first half, they were hugely impressive in the second. And the way Salah played, the way Mane played, obviously Jota didn't have his greatest game, but did all right in the second half. Firmino, when he came on, just you showed that everything about how good Liverpool are. And when Liverpool play like that and those... You know, Salah's in, in form, Mane's in form. Teams can't live with them. So so as much as the first half was disappointing, there was a hell of a lot to be excited about for the second half. And, you know, I think Liverpool remain unbeaten. And as you mentioned before, um, you know, they could have lost to City and, and beaten Brentford and gained more points. But in a weird way, I always find these unbeaten runs to be really, really good. And if you can get to, like, through to November or Christmas without, without a loss... It suddenly starts building a bit of momentum, and it starts to feel like you've got that bit of invincibility about you, and and people notice that you've got that zero, and and and, and talk about it, and it will help the team's confidence. So I'm quite happy for them to get through with a few draws and stay unbeaten, because I think quite often it can it can help Liverpool gather a bit of momentum. So yeah, it was it was an interesting game, but I was pretty pleased with it in the end, even though obviously disappointed with the the the, um, the, the goal City scored, but you know. Liverpool looked really, really dangerous and, you know, pushed City right back in that second half. Yeah, and, and uh, Hannah, as as Joe just said, um, 
Klopp more of a motivated, motivated than a, a tactician, people say. But I always find, I always have thought about this at Klopp, I, I, as a half-time manager, he's one of the best in the world. I don't know what he says to them, but I've I've seen Liverpool improve in second halves under Klopp more than I ever have under any other manager. I suppose when you when they cross that white line, it, your influence is, is lessened to the extent. So, you know, you're making changes then into the game. But... <clears throat> When he gets a team, and we all saw, didn't we, when the, when the half-time whistle went, he scampered down that tunnel. He wasn't hanging about. He wasn't talking to anyone. He was getting in there. He wanted to be the first person in that room. And you knew that that team was going to get an absolute slaughter. And whether or not it's it's one of these, what they used to call a hairdryer Fergie moments, or whether or not it's it's the way he motivates. But clearly, when they came out that second half, uh, that was a completely different Liverpool. He talked about City pushing up. 20 yards in the and 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 it squeezed all the room out of Liverpool really they couldn't really uh they couldn't really perform which is a bit mad to think that a simple tactic like that can scuppy you for 45 minutes but it certainly left people on uh, Liverpool on the back foot but second half coming out they were they, there was something else went in you've got to say let talk about the goals I mean obviously a lot is going to be made of Salah's second goal because it was just an extraordinary just I think he's. I would go as far as to say he's probably the only man on the planet that it wasn't even Messi-esque. That it was Salah-esque. He's got his own interpretation of it. Messi's incredible for beating people. Salah did that before, if you remember, against Tottenham, uh, and he's tried to do it a lot and he's been caught a lot. But when it works, boy oh boy, did it work. He sat down the entire back line of City, didn't he? But let's talk about the first goal. I mean, from Allison, it swept around Liverpool players. City couldn't get a touch on the ball. And then it gets along the, uh, along the wing to that man, Salad again. And, and he, he, he just ghosts past the player and puts it forward to, to Mane, who, uh, who hits the first time. And uh, we've been waiting for a finish like that off Mane for a while, haven't we? But it was just an incredible bit of football. And Pep, at that point, must have been thinking, oh, no, I'm on the end of one of you. Yeah, I mean, you, you could see how frustrated Pep was getting. It's, it's that sort of game. I mean, but it wasn't because of the finish. Obviously, it's more to do with the Milner. Milner potential sending off but I mean yeah we looked completely different side second half I I don't want to be disappointed with the draw given the performance in the first half and you know you were getting to half time thinking you know we're going to be a goal or two down here and you know you said it there Klopp was first down the tunnel and you know big big changes were needed um it was interesting from Pet really usually he tends to overthink the big games and and does something drastic with his tactics. I mean he overthought the Champions League final against Chelsea massively and and he is prone to doing that in big games. But if anything, you know, all credit to Pep and all credit to City. He got his spot on against Liverpool and, you know, they absolutely suffocated us in that first half and and we couldn't do anything. And um, you know, our, our players couldn't cope with it. Our midfield, you know, don't want to say dreadful because I feel like that might be a bit harsh, but you know, Henson and Fabinho in particular had absolutely no control on that midfield and Bernardo Silva was just absolutely sensational, I think. For Gary Neville, giving Salah and um, Phil Foden man of the match at full time, I thought, if anything, it you know, Bernardo Silva was incredible for City and caused us all sorts of problems in that first half. But, you know, if if you do look at that, game you know separately with the two halves and you know that second half performance if anything I'd say was one of our better performances of, of the whole season really in the Premier League um, you know the front three back firing and you know brilliant to see both Sadio and Salah 
on the score sheet as well. And, you know, you, you said it there about Salah's goal, the finish, and, and we've seen him do things like that before. And, you know, a lot, a lot of people have likened it to Messi and that, you know, maybe Messi is the only other player on the planet capable of doing that. But he's just absolutely exceptional, Mo Salah. And, you know, if he can carry on in the form that he is, which I have no doubt that he will do that, then, you know, we'll be well in this title race for the rest of the season. And, um, I mean, a point at home against Man City. We, we, we lost to them last season at home. Obviously, the title was pretty much almost one for them at that point and we'd pretty much fallen off a cliff but given the intensity of the title race this season you know you you would take a, a result against City whether that be a point or not but at, at least we didn't get defeated is the way that I look at it given that City probably deserved to win that game based on their first half performance. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd probably say we deserve to win the game based on our second half performance. But, but yeah, you, you're right on that. And Joe, just just before we get into the nitty gritty of, of 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 Liverpool, I guess it's against the Chelseas and the Man Cities of this world that we really, we really um, get a good look at Liverpool and where we are and and, and where we're heading. And uh, you know, we talk about. <clears throat> The game itself, and 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 the two incredible goals that we scored, and and then Hannah makes the point quite rightly of 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 us being overloaded in midfield. Now, you know, towards the end of that game, if you're going to be pedantic about anything, when we go two one up there, you would, I was kind of screaming for them to just fill that midfield up because we've been struggling. I mean, Fabinho looked like he'd done four jobs that day, or was trying to. He was run absolutely ragged. So I was screaming for Casey to come on, either for Curtis Jones, but Curtis Jones, you know, I think I think against quicker teams, Curtis Jones struggles a little bit more because uh, he wants to go forward all the time. And I think against strong teams like City, I think he, he, he struggled at points during the game. He did great for the goal, obviously. He, he got the assist for Salah, but then, you know, let's face it, could have bounced off a of seagull's head and landed on Salah's foot. And Salah's <laughs> rested, mate, let's be honest. But... Um, I was screaming for like Naby Keita just trying to get five in the middle, get one up front. We're two one up. Midfield, I mean, as Hannah's rightly said, Bernardo Silva was just cutting inside all the time, causing absolute mayhem. Kevin De Bruyne was allowed so much room on the ball, it was ridiculous. But then they say he's very, very hard to pin to pin down. But if you take him out the game, you take out half a city's firepower for me. So there was that moment where Firmino come on when I thought I'd have felt like a Keita um, blocking it. And just keeping, just trying to keep hold of that ball would have been enough for me. But before we go on to that, this was a game that was screaming out for a Gini Wijnaldum, or at least a Gini Wijnaldum replacement. And this, against teams like City and Chelsea, that when you really see where we are, um, that was kind of lacking in midfield, Joe, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I take your point, definitely. I think, I think, you know, you, you want to cater on. I'm not even sure if Cater's the right type of player in that situation, is he? You know, we've, we've seen before that games can pass him by a little bit and when City dominate the ball, is he is he good enough off the ball to sort of, you know, get, get possession back for Liverpool? I'm not so sure. So I think you're right. You know, I, I think I spoke on one of the podcasts earlier this season and said that I remember Klopp sort of talking about midfield and who would you sign and why would I sign anyone? And he, he named all the midfielders Liverpool have got and said, you know, we've got Henderson, Fabinho, Curtis Jones, Keita, Thiago, and all these different players. And, and whilst I take his point, the one thing Wijnaldum always had going for him is he was always fit, wasn't he? He was, he was always available, always fit. And yeah, you know, like that game, probably crying out for Thiago, but 
as we've discovered since Thiago's come to Liverpool, he's had his fair share of injury problems. Probably doesn't play for me enough uh, in any one go. And whilst he's a great, great player, I just don't think Liverpool are getting enough out of him. And that's probably the case for two or three of the midfielders. So, yeah, I agree. I think they massively lacked a little bit more in the, in the middle of the park when, when City were, were dominating and coming back again after after Liverpool's second goal. But then the flip side of it is, look, City is so hard to defend against. I, I think what makes them so good in midfield is is, is probably their, their weakness as well, is that they don't have a forward, so they don't play with one, do they? They, they play with Grealish playing as like false nine, but they've got all these pep loves to stockpile these, these great attacking midfielders. And when they've got so many great technical players, of course they're going to dominate the ball. It's going to be really difficult to to get the ball off them in midfield. They, they play it round so well, and there was an element of luck in their in their equaliser. You know, I, I think if that doesn't come off, Matip, you know, Allison could even probably catch yeah. that, or at least turns it round the post. That was that was down to post all day. That so, was yeah. So there was an element of luck in that, um, and the book of the one at the end with Fabinho. But but yeah, I mean, I, it's one of them. I I, I don't want to be too critical of Liverpool for conceiving goals against Man City because of how good they are. Um, but quickly, I know I know we might go on to it, but I just want to talk about Salah's goal because it was just unbelievable, wasn't it? The the, the little bit where he sat down, was it Bernardo Silva? He, he sat down yeah. like a little shimmy and dinked it. I don't even know how footballers do that, but he like dinked it over his body, didn't he? All in one movement and then carried on running. The way he dribbles with the ball and, you know, you think every single time he's got it, there's too many players around him. There's no way he can get out with that ball, and he does it. I, I just think it's it's phenomenal. And um, you know, I, I've seen a few things floating around. I still don't think Sally gets in the wider stratosphere gets enough credit. You know, I've seen a few things floating around, but I know it's social media, and I know these things are done to sort of get a reaction, and they probably get what they want out of me now. But I've seen ESPN tweeted, "Who would you rather have, Salah in his prime or Hazard in his prime?" Like, yeah, that's that's been. So- that's been something that's been on social media that's been absolutely boiling my... Yeah, no, you nobody asks that about Messi, do they? Nobody goes, who'd you rather have, Messi in his prime or Nanny in his prime? Do they, they you know, like, I'm, Hazard is a great player. I really, really like Hazard, but he doesn't come close to Salah. Doesn't come close. And that 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 is even a question is disrespectful <laughs> to how good Salah is. He, you know, he's he's operating in the, the Ronaldo-Messi stratosphere now and, and it, it, it's time people outside of Liverpool woke up to that because it's it's crazy that, that those questions are even asked there's, there's no competition between him and Hazard and Hazard was a great player Well that's the extraordinary thing is Joe to that answer, to that question uh, the prime uh, Hazard or Salah one person on Twitter put and I'm paraphrasing but basically what he said was um, um, Hazard all day for me and then he said take away Salah's goals and he's a bench warmer. <laughs> no, that's like saying, take away Allison's ability to, to be a goalkeeper and he'd be on the bench. Well, what, what exactly, you know, it, it's, it's phenomenal, isn't it? And, and it, I mean, I don't even want to dwell on them fools, but uh, Hannah, as Joe just said, the, 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 the technique that Salah used to get himself into position to then fire a right footed shot, he's predominantly left footed player. To fire that, he, he hit it right-footed and it was bending outwards and still made the net. And, and Edison is still looking for it. He went past him so quickly. He, he just um, he just didn't have a clue what was going on. I mean, it was just a, a piece of absolute top-level, different stratosphere of football, wasn't it? Absolutely. And, and that's just 
the sort of player that Mo Salah is. He's on a on a different planet, and hearing that he's you know being compared to the likes of Eden Hazard is, like you say, disrespectful. But I mean, you know, Eden Hazard's a fantastic player, but but Salah is just he's he seems to just be breaking records every week and scoring incredible goals every week at the moment, and that is exactly why he's being regarded by a lot of Liverpool fans as one of the best in the world as he should be um, because he's scoring goals every week and it's it's just he's so consistent and <clears throat> I'm pretty sure the only team he hasn't scored against this season is Burnley when we played them at Anfield in our first home game of the season he scored against every single team we faced in the Premier League and the Champions League apart from that one game and that is just pure consistency and it's not just this season he's done it he's done it ever since he's arrived at Liverpool we've seen finishes like that before you know against the likes of Tottenham when he scored a similar goal so he's able to produce world-class finishes every week and he has done for years and I think that is more than puts him in the bracket and I mean I want to say in the bracket of the likes of Messi and Ronaldo personally because at least currently um on current form, I, I think he has to be spoken about in that bracket because I think he is that calibre of player and, and maybe that's with my red tinted glasses on potentially. Um, but I mean, I would talk about him in that bracket and I think people need to start talking about him in that bracket as well. Well, uh, it, 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 you know, it, it's 100, he's, he's made 165 appearances. He scored 103 goals and assisted the, uh, 37. That's He's been involved in 140 goals in 165 appearances. This is these record this, and that's just one record. That's just one stat. The guy's been the first to loads of things. He's done more than he's. He is remarkable. And I said before, after the first or second game of the season, on one of these previous podcasts, I said I had this feeling that that Salah is is more up for this season than he has been for any other. He seems like he really wants to get back to that 44 goals. Uh, season, he's hungry. He's sharp. He's fit, he looks fitter than he's ever been. Uh, he's getting back defending. He's not stopping running. Now, for someone who we, who we are still trying to pin down uh, uh, on a on a contract, I mean, it, Joe, it's it's vital, isn't it? Rega- forget about your Harlands. Forget about your Mbappes. Forget about all this these permanent links that Liverpool have to play. That let's face it, most Liverpool fans know we're never going to get in a million years. We've got one. We've got one right there playing for us in a red shirt every single week. We need to nail him down, don't we? We've already heard these rumours of 500 grand a week that have been dispelled and he's not after 500 grand a week. Clearly, to keep him, Liverpool are going to have to break their transfer, their, 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 their wages bill record. They're going to have to because that's how he plays. So they need to get this nailed down as soon as possible. Not that they are, Joe, but it, it's imperative that we we get this player uh, for as long as we can. And, and he's 29, but he, he doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't do any of the things that footballers do that limit your career. So, in th- in th- in th- in theory, he could be twenty three. This guy, yeah. for the, like, the amount of the, the longevity of, of, of we're going to get from him, it's got to get signed off soon, as isn't it, mate? It, it would be one of the biggest travesties in, in Liverpool's like transfer history if they allow him to walk out the door. Whether it even you know whether he leaves the club on a transfer next summer or or for free in two years' time. I just cannot understand. I don't know, you know, look, we're not privy to, to what's going on behind the scenes. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of financial things that they have to they have to consider, but they have to find a way of getting this done because 
you know, even for the club's profile, like surely, as you say, you know, I think he is operating. I don't, Hannah, I don't think you, you have to say with a red tinted glasses on. The facts are there. He is operating on the, the Ronaldo Messi level. Um, for Liverpool to let a player leave like that will only hurt them. Look at, you know, Barcelona lost Messi this summer and he's he's past his prime. And look how it hurt them. You know, it really hurt them as a club. They don't they don't feel as a serious club, do they, as they did when they had Messi. And, and Liverpool cannot allow him to leave. Uh, they have to get him to commit. They have to pay him what he needs to be paid. And, you know, if it breaks all records, so be it. You know, I, I think there isn't, there aren't many players that you could ever go out and get. And you can talk about your Mbappes and your, your Haaland's, but I'm just not convinced you could go out and get anyone that would operate on the level that Salah is operating on. And I fully agree. I think he'll play, you know, look at Ronaldo, he's, he's 35 and the fanfare he went back to with to United. He might be older than 35, 36. And, and Messi the same with PSG. I, I think, you know, you, you, you're looking at another three to four really good years out of Salah because of the way he looks after himself, maybe more. Honestly, I, I said it half joking after the, the game at the weekend. If they have to build them, a, to knock down St. John's in the city centre and build a pyramid, um, they should do it because he's, he's that good. He's just he's just phenomenal. And the, the thought of him leaving Liverpool on a free transfer makes my stomach turn. Um, he's he's everything that the club should be about. They should be about retaining him, pushing him as their number one brand. I mean, surely the, the shirt sales they do, everything like that that goes with it. Be worth it. I mean, I I don't even want to think about him leaving because it, it, it would just hurt Liverpool no end. But yeah, um, incredible, incredible player. He is an incredible player. And I don't know whether you've been over to Birkenhead and seen the Pyramid Centre there. But well, I, well, I, I have, sorry. Yeah. Careful um, what you wish for. Um, make it just the Mohammed Salah, Salah Pyramid Centre Mohammed Salah Centre. St. John's, that'll do. Um, <laughs> and also, I don't, think, um, I don't think Messi leaving Barcelona has been as damaging to Barcelona as a uh, Coleman arriving, to be honest with you. But um, that's a different story. Um, Hannah, from what we can get, and they're only snippets, and I know you guys aren't, you know, you're privy to a little bit more probably than I am, but but a certain contract, well, on a day-to-day Liverpool business, of course, but when I talk, when, when you're talking about contracts for players, I mean, you know, these things are, are watertight. But one thing that has come out and is floating around the ether, and I don't know if it's true or not, is that one of the sticking points is is the length of contract. Which just bears in mind what 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 I said and what Joe's just said to agree with as well is this one guy surely like the Ronaldos of the world. This is one guy you clearly can see looks after himself, doesn't drink. As I said before, if this square if Mohamed Salah decides to leave on a free next year and we find out that it's because somewhere down the line they turned down a five year deal, four or five year deal, but I would I wouldn't balk at a five year deal for that man. If it comes down the line that Liverpool Football Club um, have decided to let him go because he wanted a longer contract at Liverpool than they were prepared to offer, that would be one of the darkest days in the club's history, wouldn't it, Hannah? Yeah, I think, you know, you sort of alluded to it a bit earlier that I think gone are the days where footballers are in their prime in in their late 20s. I I think, you know, when you look at, other players around the world. I mean, Slatan at AC Milan, he's what, 40. So, you know, maybe not quite in, in his prime anymore, but the fact that he's, you know, footballers, you know, times have changed. They can carry on a lot longer than, than they used to be able to. So, you know, I, I think, you know, four or five year contract for a 29 year old, 
especially of Mohamed Salah's caliber, I, I think you you you, can, you can't bat an eyelid at that. You know, I think that is more more than fair. And you know, I, I, for whatever reason, if you know Salah doesn't sign this contract and, and he ends up walking away, for whatever reason that would be, I would be absolutely gutted. And you know, I agree. I think it would be one of the darkest days in the club's history because, you know you might see silly links to Haaland and Mbappe and all these players, but we've literally got a world-class player, like you said, playing in front of us every single week. And we have to appreciate whilst we can. And, you know, I, I don't think for a second that they can probably put all three of, of our front three on, on bumper long-term contracts because, you know, at some point the, this squad is going to need a refresh. You know, we can't keep playing with the same squad under Jurgen Klopp for, for the years and years to come. Eventually you do have to move players on and, and bring new faces in. But I think if for any of the front three, I think as, as much as you love Sadio Mane and as much as you love Roberto Firmino, I think if if of any of them, Mohamed Salah is the one that you've got to say, we have got to hold on to this player no matter what it takes. Um because if you if you lose him, then you know, if anything, I think it would be bad for Mo Salah to to move on. You know, you sort of see what happens when these players move on to the likes of Real Madrid or Barcelona. I mean, Eden Hazard was absolutely sensational for Chelsea and he and he goes to Real Madrid and he's not not been the same since. And obviously we all know what happened with Coutinho when he went, albeit at a much younger age. So, you know, I think for for both parties really, it will makes sense for him him to stay at the club because he'll carry on in, in the form that he is hopefully and and Liverpool will get a sensational player f- for the next four or five years so um, I, I'd like to think that it wouldn't come down to length of contract and that you know but ultimately it, it's the people at the club that are left to decide and it's up to Salah whether or not the terms are, are what he wants so you know it's, it's yet to be seen but I think yeah, I don't think fans will be quite satisfied until we see the announcement that, that he has extended his stay. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. Well, let's just get down to this now because I did mention before that you you know you when you play teams like Man City at home, Chelsea to a lesser extent, but definitely Man City, they have become the benchmark uh, in many 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 ways. Not only obviously because of what they're doing at the moment, but but, but their, their squad depth and their investment levels. Newcastle apparently on the verge of, or have been taken over by someone who's got 10 times the amount of money that Man City have got. So if that's true and 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 the, and, and the, uh, Newcastle United are being bought out by this Middle Eastern company, Saudi Arabian com- com- uh, country, um, then they are going to be clearly, even with, uh, even with the financial fair play in, in, in place, you know, they will obviously become a huge squad themselves before too long. The point I want to make is this. We we go out against Man City, Liverpool, former champions. We've done incredible things over the last couple of seasons. And we've, you know, we're still an incredible team worldwide, aren't we? Let's face it. Should we be walking on the pitch? Now, I know that the investment in this club off the pitch uh, has been substantial. We know that, and it continues with the new extension to Anfield Road and the 7,000 seats bring us up to 61,000. The ground's been broken on that. We know that's going ahead. Should we as a team, as Liverpool Football Club, with the standing we've got, Joe Rimmer, and the, and, and the, the European titles under our belts and, and, and the reputation we've got, should we be going on the pitch against Man City 
without a right back replacement for a right back? Should we be going there with a squad that is that is having to put a thirty five year old in place of uh, Trent and has no, as we mentioned before, has not replaced losing um, a very influential midfield player. Um, should we not be in a better position squad wise, Joe? Should we not have someone who can just step in? We had Nico Williams. Joe Gomez is a centre-back. Nico, let's face it, I think most Reds would decide isn't quite the finished article and, and you wouldn't put him in against City. So we're relying on James Milner, who, let's be honest with you, was lucky to stay on the pitch. You know, he stuck a leg out, I think probably because the fact that Bernardo Silva spends half his time doing Tom Daly impersonations, uh, he might have got a second yellow. But should we be going on the pitch as Liverpool Football Club with, with, with Scans squad like that? <clears throat> no, no, I don't think we should. I think... I think... Look, I mean, a lot, a lot has been said about the summer, but, you know, I, I think I can't understand why they, they, they wouldn't look for a replacement for Wijnaldum. I mean, as I've mentioned earlier, the manager said it himself. The best thing about Wijnaldum is is that he was always available and you can you can have a hundred other midfielders in the squad, but if they're not available, then there's no point in having them. So I find that they didn't go out and replace Wijnaldum or, or indeed keep Wijnaldum. Um, hugely frustrating and it, and I think for the, for the amount of credit we give the, the recruitment team and for the players they've signed, um, you know, both the recruitment team and the owners, I, I don't think letting one album go and replacing him was good enough. Um, I still think they need a, another forward. Yeah, right back, they're weak. And this is the issue, you know, like I don't expect Liverpool to have everything because at the end of the day, competing with a, a team like Man City or Chelsea, you know, with the money they've got, Newcastle, if, if this is all it's cracked up to be, is you know, it just you know, it's very very difficult. You, there aren't like a, a whole number of those owners in the world that have those unlimited resources. But I certainly think, I don't think people are being unreasonable to say they should have invested a little bit more in the attack. They should have invested a little bit more in the midfield. They went out and bought the centre half for a lot of money and, and, and strengthened there. But you know, sometimes I think Liverpool. Well, can they not box a bit clever and, and try and find someone cheaper? And you know, Klopp, I think this comes from Klopp. He clearly doesn't like to sign people, does he, for with, with short term in mind? If he signs someone, it's for the next four or five years, and he's not going to sign a player and go, Well, we'll see how he gets on. But he tells you to do it all the time that he'd sign someone, and if they weren't good, he'd move them on. Klopp doesn't do that, but I just, I just think they risked it last season with centre halves, and it came back to bite them. It feels like it's a bit of a risk this season. And, you know, as much as Mel has been very good, I think anyone going into that game on, on Saturday was slightly worried about him. I certainly was. I think he always struggles against quicker players, those technical players that go past him. He always gets booked, doesn't he? You know, Milner's is known for leaving one in quite early doors. And he was a very lucky boy not to have been sent off. And, and let's face it, you know, could have cost Liverpool the win. So, um, yeah, I, I mean what hasn't been said about this summer. I just think they needed one or two more players and I really hope this doesn't come back to bite them. But, you know, for all being careful with transfers, if you missed out on the Champions League, it would hurt them even more. You know, they'd be better off investing to stay in these competitions. So I just sometimes don't really understand it. I, I don't know what goes on at the top of the club and, and why they don't invest. Is it Klopp not wanting certain players? Is it Michael Edwards and the team being... You know, careful on the players that they recruit, or is it FSG just saying the money's not there? But at some point, surely a little bit more money has to be invested in the playing squad. Um, as much as the, they've, they've invested into the infrastructure around the club, the playing squad is where you know it begins and ends, doesn't it? Really, 
Um, so, yeah, um, totally agree. I think they need more players. And Hannah, just to reiterate what, what, what we've just said, I mean, <clears throat> this is an unforgiving league. This is the kind of league where if you drop, if you lose two or three matches, you're, you're not, you're not, you're not in contention for the Premiership, really. It's it's getting that tight. It's getting that unforgiving in this league. We've got Akon coming up soon. So you've got Mo Salah and Sadio Mane are going to be missing. I don't know how many games. Might only be two games they're talking about. But, but certainly in Mohamed Salah's case, you can't afford to lose him for one game. And that's just to a tournament. That's not to somebody knocking him on the knee or him pulling up with a hamstring. You know, he's a pace player. And pace players sooner or later get caught out with a hamstring or with an injury that puts them sideline for a long time. And then they lose, you know, happens to Sheehan, it happens to Michael Owen, it happens to all the pace players. They lose that yard and then essentially that's what the game is about. It, it frightens me to think that we have come into this season without some sort of cover for those two. I know Joss was brought in, but, you know, and I know it's hard to cover someone like Salah, but uh, strength of depth is worrying to me. Um uh, and as we said, the James Milner situation, can they not find someone? I mean, Andy Robbo cost him seven mil. Is the not, is the not, uh, and, and it's a, it is a slightly concerning that Michael Edwards is stepping down and going, moving away, and then some other guys come to take his place. And I don't know whether that's been some sort of dispute going on there or whether it was the natural course of things. I don't really know. But we have done very well in the past, ironically, with getting cheap players or getting players for cheap amounts of money and getting good players. And, You'd have thought this time we'd have been able to do that and just cover our bases, Hannah. It's a difficult one. I mean, with a lot of those signings, it's almost got to be, you know, the right player available at the right place um, at the right time sort of thing. So it, it's hard. It is squad depth. It, I struggle with this one because as much as you want to say we, we, we need backup for pretty much every position on the pitch and, and fantastic backup, it's... A fine, a fine line, really, between you know having those. I mean, if you're going to have a, a player on the books as a backup to Trent Alexander-Arnold, that's as good as Trent Alexander-Arnold. You're going to be paying him Trent Alexander-Arnold wages with that as well. Um, so it, it's not just going out and finding these players. It's paying their wages as well, but also keeping them happy and you know. For for all of City's squad depth, you do hear you know rumours in in the media as well about you know certain players that aren't aren't quite happy. I mean, with Grealish coming in and and Sterling sort of being pushed out the team slightly, he's now being linked to to clubs abroad and and Bernardo Silva's you know that's been an ongoing sort of issue with City over the last sort of season or so that he's not quite happy with you know. So you, you can have all this squad depth, but. You've got to keep those players happy and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how long we can keep Simicass happy being a backup to Robertson because he's shown quite comfortably that he, he's more than capable and, he, you know, you've, you've got to be able to give these players minutes. So it's just, you know, you, you, you want to look at it and say we, we'll be playing Trent Alexander-Arnold every game. So it's like, well, how do you bring someone in that's going to be happy to sit on the bench and, and only come in when when Trent Alexander-Arnold isn't fit and you can say about rotation and everything like that but I think I think we've seen really that Klopp's rotation in some respects is is quite less than what you would think given the injuries that we've had in the past he, he does like to stick to his you know first start in 11 and, and his best players so it's a difficult one and you know the the investment from FSG has been there. 
you know, both on and off the pitch over the years when you see the players and the calibre of players that we've brought in. Squad depth will, I think, always be an issue considering, you know, we're not owned by owners that, you know, Man City or, or Chelsea have. I, I think it's fair to say that we probably won't have the squad depth that they do simply because we don't have the, the finances to compete um, with, you know, billionaire owners such as theirs. So, it's a difficult one. I, I thought, you know, you, you can't really comprehend for some of the injuries that you get. I, I think provided that Trent isn't, you know, injured long term, I think, you know, we'll be absolutely fine. Um, you know, you, you, I feel like you can drop Milner in there here and there, but, you know, like we saw against City, you don't really want to be dropping him in, in in the biggest game of the season, arguably. So it is a difficult one and, you know, you do need backup. But it's just about finding the right players available at the right place for the right price and and them wanting to come in. So it, it's difficult and I don't envy the the board and, and the people responsible for transfers for the job that they have to do there because I feel like that's a, a very difficult one to navigate, really. No, absolutely. A point, a point well made, Hannah, well made indeed. In fact, we should just pause to say happy birthday to Trent. It's his <laughs> birthday today. Um, what is he, 12 now? I don't know. I, 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 I just know they're all younger than me. That's all. It's, it, it's depressing enough. Uh, talking about signings, um, Klopp has recently asked if he could have one player that he would like to uh, sign, re-sign for Liverpool. Do you, do you guys know who he came up with? Former Mainz player? Yeah, Voronin, wasn't it? Andre <laughs> Voronin. Yeah. I think he was talking about Mainz, but there's some great quotes there. Didn't he? he said that Voronin once came up to him and said, why don't you start me a bit more? And he just said, because um, because you never complain when I leave you out, so so you always cop for it. And he said, "Is that okay?" He said, "No, I just carried on the way, and I carried on leaving him on the bench." So uh, yeah, that's what he wants to pick out. Look for him. It's a strange one. I always remember um, uh, hearing the story about uh, him being on a flight, uh, a midweek flight or a weekend flight. It might have been a Sunday night. He was he had the same he had the same sponsors as um, Stephen Gerrard, and they went on a private jet to do some um, advertising, to do some promotional work. And on the way back, Stevie was with his agents at the front of the this jet, private jet, whatever it was. And at the back was Andre Vardman was his agent. And about half an hour into the flight, he heard these bottles of champagne being popped. And Andre Vardman walked down with a couple of glasses, and uh, one one that was in, was in his hand, and he had another two glasses. One was for Stevie, and one was for Strew and his agents. Stevie looked up at him and said, "We've got a game on Thursday, you plonky, you know." Always to that effect. So he was wanting to pop champagne on the flight of coming home. It's a couple of games, a couple of days for the game, and, and was given short shrift by his captain. Um, we never really got to see what uh, Varner was about, other than that wonderful mane down the back of his neck. Did we he had a wonderful ponytail? Did Varner? All right, listen. Let's look at the last, uh, the next few games, the last three games of the six we had coming up. Uh, before we round things off. Um, so we've got Brentford out the way. Um, we've got um, Porto out the way, of course, and Man City. Just the uh, the mere uh, Wofford away, which is Saturday the 16th of October. Half 12 kickoff, people, if you if you want to to uh, get on with that one. Um, and then we have Tuesday the 19th of October, a little matter of Atletico Madrid coming to Liverpool. Suarez on his way back. And then, of course, 24th of October, another way. These are all away games as well. Uh, in fact, our next four games are away. Um, Man United at Old Trafford, so three massive games again. I mean, every game in the league is obviously massive. The European game is huge as well, particularly with the fact that we're now only two points ahead of Atletico Madrid. They're on four, we're on six. 
a victory there um, or any kind of decent result there will uh, stand us in good stead for the group anyway. But um, big games up ahead. Uh, Joe to come, Atletico and then United at Old Trafford. Yeah, massively. I mean, to be honest, the one that sticks out a little bit me there is, is Watford because I just think they need they need to come out from this international break and beat Watford. You can't, we can't, you can't really allow another Brentford um, and Watford. Obviously, with the new manager Ranieri, um, you know they could go either way. Could they could come into that bouncing or they could be sort of trying to find a new identity. So I think Liverpool need to take advantage and make sure they win there first and foremost. But United's the interesting one, isn't it? You know, obviously we know how good they are going forward, but they haven't quite gelled the season. And just what from watching them a little bit, they just leave so many gaps. You know, I kind of get the feeling that if Liverpool can sort of deal with the atmosphere and they don't always do that well at Old Trafford, albeit last season they, they did go and win there in front of no fans. But if they can, they sort of keep their composure, there'll be gaps to, to exploit. You know, I watched some of the Everton game of the day and Everton were running ragged through them at times. And I find that, you know, for a top team like that to leave so many big, big gaps, you know, the likes of Salah and, and Mane, hopefully, should be able to, to, to take advantage. Um, and that's a tough one, but I think with the Champions League, you know, you can afford to draw that, even to, even lose it, can't you? Still get through. So I think that's the, the you know, the, the, the smaller game of the three, if you like, um, albeit, you know, Simeone, Suarez, and all that. But, but even so, I think Liverpool won't be too worried if they don't pick up all three points in that game. But Watford, I think, is, is a must win. Well, as much as a must win can be at this stage of the season. And Old Trafford's going to be really interesting. It'd be be a big test to United and, and a big test to Liverpool really because you don't want to you don't want to give them a sniff in this title race. No, absolutely not. And Hannah, so as, as Joe says, big games. Of all of all of the three of those games, which one would you want to lose, win or draw? Win all of them. <laughs> um You've got to pick a draw, a loss, and a win for the three. Go on. Uh well, I, I think you've got a win against Watford. Um, you know sort of Joe alluded to there, you want to go into that run after the international break with a win and and that's the sort of game, I mean you can tolerate draws to the likes of Man United where it happens all the time, we always seem to draw at Old Trafford um, but Watford you need to be beating that, if we're, if we're going to stay in this title race as long as possible Watford are the teams that you need to be beating and, and they've, they've had some good results against us in, in recent years, you think back to that heavy defeat at at their place in our, our title-winning season, and and it was one of our, I think it was our first defeat of the Premier League season. It would gone and beaten that whole time, so it's just yeah, Watford, Watford's the one, and yeah, I am concerned because they have got a new manager, and um, as well coming off the back of an international break, I'm, I'm not quite sure what it would mean for for Allison and Fabinho because they're playing like the night before or so for Brazil potentially. I'm not quite sure. You know, that's a, you're not quite sure who we're going to have available and, you know, well, what players are going to come back fit after the international break. So that's sort of the one that I'm most concerned about, but probably the one that we need to win the most. Um, we can probably maybe take a defeat to Atletico Madrid away, given our strong position in the group, provided we win the other games. Um, but I take a draw against United, but I'd, I'd, I'd rather lose in the Champions League at the moment given our strong position than than lose in the Premier League because of how tight the title race is. Yeah, it was a trick question and you got it right at first, right at the very start when you said win all three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that would be the ideal situation. Absolutely. Fingers crossed. Well we have the potential to do it. And I think we've come off the back of the city game 
strangely more confident than we did going into it uh, because that second half you could not be confident the goals they scored and the performance they put in um guys thank you very very much hannah thank you once again uh, another great performance in the pod and joe always a pleasure to see you pal guys thanks very much hannah take care joe take care uh, much appreciated to you all again soon you've been listening to the poetry and motion podcast on the blood red channel